the midst of our study in Esther. Last week we did more of a character study of who Mordecai was, the legend of Mordecai. That was a fun title. Maybe I'm the only one. And so we did that to honor uh, Father's Day, to look at him as a father figure in Esther's life, somebody who uh, adopted Esther, took her as his own, and not only raised her, but continued to look after her, continued to counsel her, uh, even when she was taken into the court of the king. We know that Esther, the book, is set in the capital city, or Susa, of King Xerxes, who was a Persian ruler. He was a very powerful, very wealthy, uh, very influential uh, king in his day. The uh, book of Esther starts with a picture uh, that the author paints and painstakingly details to set the tone and set the uh, backdrop for how Esther would rise, how uh, the story would unfold. And so we have all these plot lines and overlapping themes that are fun to look at, and we'll do our best to draw some of them out as we go forward. If we remember the people of Israel were in exile, in captivity, living in a foreign land, in, in and among a foreign people, not just foreigners, but heathens, pagans who worshiped pagan idols, who had pagan customs. They were away from their homeland, the, the people of Israel. They were away from their temple, from the symbol of their sacrifice and place of worship. They were away from the homeland that God had promised to them. Very much a people with a, a identity crisis. If you look at uh, Esther and Ezra and some of these other books, uh, they call them the, the post-exilic period. They, they are written to try to encourage, to try to affirm the identity of the people of God, even while in exile, to affirm that God's covenant with them still stands. And so when we opened Esther, we looked at the fact that the underlying theme throughout is the providence of God, is God at work behind the scenes, even through your unlikely characters or, or even through people who did not serve or did not recognize him as God. That's easy to apply in our own life, to look back and see how God was working in us and around us and through various people even before our eyes were opened to get us to that point where we could surrender or we could say his name and proclaim it Proclaim Jesus Christ as our Lord and Savior. So the backdrop, this way of living that's described of the king, this lavish spending, this 180-day party, this never-ending buffet and drink, we can all go to Reno for our lunch bunch. It would have been a very daunting thing to be a Jewish orphan in this setting. Knowing the power, the prestige of the king and how much he had behind his name and at his fingertips. And today we're going to look at the rise of that orphan 
from a captive Jewish woman orphan to become queen of the preeminent empire of the day. I want to start this morning in light of recent events, and we will discuss some of them to a small extent. Let's read in John 17. John chapter 17, verse 14 through 19. I have given them your word. This is Jesus praying to God the Father, the high priestly prayer. And the world has hated them because they are not of the world, just as I am not of the world. I do not ask that you take them out of the world, but that you keep them from the evil one. They are not of the world, just as I am not of the world. Sanctify them. This is Jesus praying for his disciples. Sanctify them in the truth. Your word is truth. As you sent me into the world, so I have sent them into the world. And for their sake, I consecrate myself that they also may be sanctified in truth. Do we hear this this morning? A.B. Simpson, the founder of the Christian, uh, Christian Missionary Alliance, said this. God is preparing his heroes and his heroines. And when the opportunity comes, he can fit them into their places in a moment. And the world will wonder where they came from. Esther 2, verse 1. After these things, when the anger of King Ahasuerus had abated, remember he had summoned Vashti. Vashti had refused to appear before him refused to be put on display among the nobles and the princes. There's actually, it's hard to, to see right away in this scripture, but there's actually a delay here. Uh, about a three-year period uh, after Va Vashti was banished, and Hazarus goes off to war with Greece. He loses. He comes back. He's sullen and depressed, and he, he engages even further into his lusts, into his unwant, wanton passions, and, and so on and so forth. After these things, when the anger of King, of King Ahasuerus had abated, he remembered Vashti and what she had done and what had been decreed against her. Then the king's young men who attended him said, Let beautiful young virgins, virgins be sought out for the king, and let the king appoint officers in all the provinces of his kingdom, 127 provinces, to gather all the beautiful young virgins to the harem in, the Susa, in Susa, the citadel under custody of Haggai, the king's eunuch, who is in charge of the women. Let their, let their cosmetics be given them, and let the young woman who pleases the king be, be queen instead of Vashti. This pleased the king, and he did so. So he returns from Greece. He's remembered the dishonor that Vashti did and, and how he banished her. It could be there. We'll talk about this in a minute, but there's a lot of ambiguity. There's a lot of details that aren't filled in for us. It could be that his advisors and his young men that, that were in his court uh, were afraid that he would bring Vashti back or try to bring Vashti, Vashti back, and, and that would be bad news for them because they were the ones who counseled against her. So instead, 
they say, hey, king, why don't, why don't you find somebody else? We will go throughout your kingdom, find the most beautiful young virgins, and bring them to you. And then you can choose whoever pleases you to be queen. And so he agrees. Remember, this is a man who, who, to whom there was no end to his life of luxury and opulence. He, he was accustomed to get, getting everything he wanted, to having it all at his fingertips. It's said that uh, when uh, Alexander the Great came in and took over, not from Xerxes but from the same lineage in the empire, that there were 27,000 talents of gold in the in the um, capital. I, I can't remember exactly, but it, was, it equates to about 120 tons of gold.